Locale. Local. Shock. Local. Cambiamento. Tapir. Gergelecta. Sacula Ijaia. Food. Change. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Sfin podcast. My name is Valentina Gritti and I'm the podcast host and the Global Community and Project Manager of the Slow Food Youth Network. It has been quite some time since the last episode, right? But I really hope you enjoyed the Sfiners Around the Globe series. I really did. And today we have a new episode conducted by Slow Food Europe and the host of this series is Elise Poiron, who is the Communication Officer at Slow Food Europe. But before letting her the word, I would like to ask you something super important. Can you give your feedback to the Sfin podcast? It's very important for us to know which episodes you like most, which topics you are most interested in for the future, and also what we can improve to make it better. I will put the link to the feedback form in the podcast description below. And now back to the episode of today, in which we will find out more about the latest updates regarding the farm to fork strategy in Europe. Hi everyone! I am Alice Poiron, Communications Officer at Slowfoods Office in Brussels, and today we will talk about the EU Farm to Fork strategy and what has happened since its publication in May of 2020. We will shed light on the intense lobbying that the agrochemical industry has been doing to try to weaken the strategy and on how you, as European citizens, can influence food policy, for example, through the recent European Citizens Initiative, Save Bees and Farmers. But first, a bit of context. The food system that we have nowadays in Europe can provide Europeans with a lot of food. A lot of it can be very tasty, very healthy. Some of it is produced in a sustainable way with small-scale farmers. But there are also many problems with our European food systems. And I think most of us already know this by now. There are issues from the environmental perspective, uh, the health perspective, and the social perspective. We know, for example that we have an increasing rate of overweight and obesity, particularly with children. We also have food-related diseases like cancer, cardiovascular diseases, and on the environmental side, a lot of food production is still done in an industrial way, which is polluting our soils, our water, our air, destroying biodiversity, and contributes massively to climate change. Last but not least, the current food system is not even paying our farmers well. All of these issues are interconnected, and we have to tackle them together. This is where the farm to fork strategy comes in. But first, I think I should tell you a bit more about what the farm to fork strategy is. Well, it is a new strategy that was proposed by the EU Commission last year to accelerate the transition towards sustainable food systems in Europe. So concretely, how would it do this? Well, the strategy proposes 27 measures to act on different levels of the food supply chain. For example, it proposes to revise the legislation on animal welfare and to develop an organic action plan to boost the production and consumption of organic food. It also proposes to set minimum mandatory criteria for sustainable food procurement to help cities, regions and public authorities to play their part by sourcing sustainable food for schools, hospitals and public institutions. And also, very importantly, it sets some ambitious targets, such as increasing the percentage of land under organic to 25% by 2030, reducing obesity by 50%, and reducing the use and risk of chemical pesticides by 50% by 2030. At Slow Food, we believe that the strategy really has the potential to drive the transition to sustainable food systems in Europe, because it proposes measures that encompass health, food production, and consumption in an integrated way, 
Yeah, okay, it is not a perfect strategy, but it is ambitious and it is urgently needed. Since the publication of this farm to fork strategy, some policy processes have started. For example, the revision of pesticides policy. Also, the European Parliament has been working on its opinion reports on the farm to fork strategy. Okay, now you're going to tell me that I've lost you. What is an opinion report? Well, it is essentially a political document where the Parliament expresses support for parts of the strategy, states whether disagree or regrets that certain measures are not included. Usually, Parliament opinion reports do not make a lot of noise because they do not have any legal value per se. However, this time, we saw a lot of lobbying from agrochemical industry trying to influence how members of the Parliament would vote on this report and trying to weaken the language of the report. The European Parliament voted on this opinion report on October 19. And thankfully, despite all the lobbies' efforts, a wide majority of members of Parliament voted in favour which shows support for the farm to fork strategy and is great because it also calls on making the targets binding. For example, the one on reducing pesticides. We at Slow Food are super happy that the parliament decided to listen to science and to European citizens and not to corporate interests. This was a long introduction, but I think now we've set the scene pretty well. We thought of taking the opportunity of this vote to make this podcast on the farm to fork strategy, to shed light on this super important document that will have an impact on all our daily lives. And to discuss this and answer all my questions, I have with me today Nina Holland, researcher at Corporate Europe Observatory, Martin Dermin, policy officer at Pan Europe, and Tilly Mess, member of the European Parliament. Thank you all for being here today. And now let's dig in. So Nina, let's start uh, with you. Uh, could you give us your first impressions on the vote about the farm to fork strategy? Yes, well, it is fantastic that uh, the report was accepted uh, in a large majority. That was really good news. And I think it was a really a, a nail-biting experience because um, we now know that the European Parliament supports uh, some really Im important principles uh, for um, a future sustainable food strategy, including binding reduction targets for chemical inputs like pesticides and fertilizers. And that is really important, seeing the lobbying frenzy that we've seen last week by the pesticide lobby groups, the meat lobby, the big farm lobby. Uh, it really wasn't a given, so it's really a very good outcome. And you, Martin? What's your reaction? Well, of course, we're very happy because um, it would have been very complicated for the European Commission to go move forward with its uh, ambition to have a greener agriculture in the European Union. We were not very surprised by the attempt from the agribusiness lobby to water down the objectives of the European Green Deal. We've been quite still quite disappointed that so many MEPs reacted positively to this uh, campaign from agribusiness. But in the end, once more, the European Parliament has shown that it is really the voice of Europeans and they clearly demonstrated that they want a greener agriculture, better systems of food production. And this is uh, what is the most important. Thank you, Martin. And now, uh, Mrs. Mess, I turn to you uh, with the same question. What is your reaction, your opinion on this uh, on this great vote? But first of all, I must say, honestly, I was relieved <laughs> and, uh, and also very happy. Uh, why was I relieved? Because um, there were a lot of last minute attacks from the 
agri um, lobby and conservative and far right side. So we did not really know because they tabled at the last moment quite um, some amendments that were really questioning a lot of the good compromises and happy because really after one year of work, of negotiations, um, I think uh, globally, it is a very progressive and a very good uh, INI report that was voted there by a large majority, so 452 votes in favor. So that is really um, a large majority that supported um, this INI report for the farm to fork strategy. And uh, which two or three points are you the most proud of that made it into the final report? First of all, as I said, uh, all the compromises um, uh, negotiated before survived the vote because in plenary at the last moment you can always, as I said, table some more uh, amendments. They survived all. Um, what I am the most happy or proud of um It's, first of all, the explicit support for almost all the targets of the farm to fork strategy, well, except the, the, fertilizer, the reduction on the fertilizer of uh, 20% did not pass, but all the other uh, more organic farming, reduction to 50% of, of pesticides, um, so increase of 25% of total farmland being used for organic farming by 2030, but also... Um, the call for mandatory due diligence along the whole food supply chain. I think also that is a big victory. And then uh, also strong wording on labeling. So much more ambitious that uh, uh, the initial farm to fork strategy here in the INI report, for example, also on origin labeling for all products and especially for animal products but also labeling on animal welfare, so the method of production, and then also labeling on harmonized vegan and vegetarian labels at EU level. So I, I quoted already three now, but I, I could also say uh, another win is really the flexible VAT rate for more healthy uh, diet and considering also the environmental impact Um Well, and the whole revision also regarding animal welfare legislation, especially uh, also the revision as I'm chair of this inquiry committee on the protection of animal during transport. So also good wording on, on animal welfare that we have there in the farm to fork strategy. And now that this uh, vote has taken place, what are the next steps for the EU Parliament regarding the implementation of the farm to fork strategy? What we're going to do now uh, is really looking at the um, flagship regulation that are going to be declined out of this uh, uh, farm to fork strategy, like, for example, the sustainable use of pesticides also the revision of the plant protection products. Uh, so all this we're going to follow very closely now, the implementation to this legislative regulation that are going to come up now, but also in every um, situation where it is linked to topics that are treated in the farm to fork strategy, which is really considering The, no, the whole food supply chain, uh, but also, as I said, the labeling, the, the production and everything. So every time now something comes up related to the farm to fork strategy, we can really refer on that and follow closely and putting also pressure to the commission. Listen, this is what a big 
majority of the European Parliament asked for regarding the farm to fork strategy. And last but not least, even if it's only mentioned in a recital of the common agricultural policy, we need to see that this common agricultural policy with the national strategic plans that are coming up now from the different member states are coherent to this farm to fork strategy. Thank you, Mrs. Miss. Now I would like to talk about lobbying with you, Nina, because the farm to fork strategy has been under heavy fire from the industry in the past weeks. Could you explain to us who the main actors are, their lobbying arguments to weaken the farm to fork strategy, and why these do not hold true? So the undermining of this farm to fork strategy, before it was even started, it was already under fire. In that time, before May 2020, both the big farm lobby and uh, the food industry, the pesticide industry, were already calling for the farm to fork strategy to be delayed, that it shouldn't be published uh, at the moment it was envisaged. And the argument they were using in that time uh, was the corona crisis, that it was not the right moment, that the industry was already so much under uh, under pressure. And of course, already that didn't make any sense because uh, um, none of the farm-to-fork elements would be immediately implemented. Every uh, aspect of it, it would take a few years to actually uh, become a reality. Um, then they moved to fighting the farm to fork to be brought into alignment with the common agriculture policy or rather the other way around. So the way that the farm subsidies are being spent to a large extent decides the success of the farm to fork strategy because that is where the money is. That is where the rules are being made on how the money is being spent, what farmers are being paid for and what the conditions are. So they effectively managed to keep the farm to fork strategy out of the common agricultural policy. So that was a, a really uh, hard fight, and it's still ongoing. Uh, and then they moved to the farm-to-fork strategy itself in the way that it was being discussed in the parliament. They made their own initiative report, which is only an opinion. But it's really important because it gives the European Commission that makes the laws, that makes the new initiatives, um, a signal what the European Parliament as an institution will support and what it won't support, how the majorities are and where they lie. So in that sense, for instance, when, when it was being discussed in early this year, in January, there were loads of lobby events going on. It was still in a corona crisis situation. And we saw, for instance, how uh, the chemical corporation BASEF organized a online wine tasting event uh, with only Portuguese wines because it was the Portuguese presidency. And so we found and exposed how they basically have a sort of a loyal group of MEPs that they invite to these kind of events. They, they did more of them. And uh, they would send packages of these exclusive wines from their own wine cellars uh, in Germany to the MEPs that signed up. And then they would have an, an online wine tasting event, so kind of socializing events, having a nice drink, and then talk about the farm to fork strategy. Um, we also saw how Copa Cocheca was lobbying the MEPs to basically, they were uh, fighting any progressive element. They were denying the link between agriculture and climate change. Um, they fought against the reduction targets. They even fought uh, against uh, nutrition labeling. Um, so they were really being extremely uh, conservative um, on all issues to do with farm to fork 
And uh, in, in the last phase, they, uh, they produced their own impact assessments. So all the time they were calling for impact assessments. Then they decided, okay, we'll do some ourselves. So they, they funded some universities and, and some other researchers to do impact assessments. And what does that mean? So you have these reports that will say, well, if everything stays the same and you uh, start reducing uh, fertilizer uh, synthetic pesticides, uh, antibiotics in livestock farming. Well, then what happens? Well, initially, you can quite easily calculate that some of the production will go down uh, if everything else stays the same. Of course, you need a lot of other additional policies and you need to support farmers with the CAP funding and with other funding to actually um, execute and, and implement all these measures. Um, you need a, a lot of additional supporting uh, policies to make this a reality and to, in the end, not lose too much pr productivity. Um, so that was very misleading. Um, and they presented all of these impact assessments uh, in, in several events just uh, the week before the vote. There were also corporate sponsored events organized by uh, certain EU media like Euractive, uh, where these impact studies were being presented. At the same time, uh, Euractiv also reported a week before uh, about the fact that a European Commission report that deals with part of the impacts of the farm to fork was only published uh, late and in summer, which they found very suspicious. And they raked that up in that article just a week before uh, the impact studies uh, of, the, of the industry were being published. So it seemed to be quite an orchestrated uh, campaign to have a sort of a, an echo chamber of messages, scaremongering with economic losses, which is always very effective in Brussels. Thank you for this, Nina. Uh, you mentioned Copacogeca earlier. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about who they are and who they represent to give a bit of context to our listeners? Copacogeca is often presented as the big farmers lobby here in Brussels, but actually it's a twin organization. So Copa is some of the mainstream farmers' lobbies, but Cogeca represents the cooperatives. And the cooperatives uh, in the past were set up by farmers to uh, defend their interests in the market. But uh, nowadays, they, these are multinational companies themselves. They include Friesland Campina or Rabobank or big sugar producers. And they no longer really represent the same interests. So what we see is that Copa Cogeca defends a system whereby 80% of the CAP funding so the farm subsidies, go to 20% of the recipients. And that is, everybody recognizes that that is a very unfair system. Nevertheless, Copa Cogeca defends that system. They also defended the abolishment of the, the production quota in uh, milk or sugar. They also um, lobbied together with the food industry uh, on TTIP, the free trade deal with the US. So you can really wonder, and more and more farmers are wondering, to what extent they're interests are really being represented by Copa Cogeca because um, it seems that uh, they are largely defending the interests of the biggest landowners and the biggest farmers um, who can produce with economy, economies of scale uh, at the lowest possible price for the food industry. What is your response when the farming union Copa Cogeca claims that we, civil society, are acting against farmers? I think that in the long term, Farmers uh, know very well that uh, what we are fighting for, such as pesticide reduction, is very much in their own interest as well. 
But in the current situation with very low prices, of course, it puts more pressure on farmers if you add more environmental rules and stricter health regulations. So over the last years, civil society organizations have consistently asked uh, for an agriculture with less chemicals, but that farmers should be compensated for their efforts to achieve that. Um, and as I said before, Copacogeca in the past has been lobbying with the food industry on free trade deals. Uh, they were against uh, a more fair division of the farm subsidies. Um, they um, have not opposed to the abolishment of the quota, which were a sort of a guarantee that certain uh, products would not be uh, sold at dump prices. Um, so all of that shows that it's not really civil society organizations uh, that are against the farmers, but it seems that Copacogeca itself does not really defend the interests of most of the farmers. Thank you, Nina. In the Farm to Fork strategy, the EU Commission proposed a target for the reduction of the use of pesticides in Europe. But like I said in my introduction, Farm to Fork targets are not binding. But these targets need to be enforced one way or another if you want the EU to move towards sustainable agriculture and food. Last September, the European Citizen Initiative, Save Bees and Farmers, successfully collected over 1 million signatures across Europe to demand the EU to ban pesticides from the EU by 2035. This ECI offers the opportunity for civil society organizations to put pressure at the EU level and remind them that farm-to-fork targets must become binding. So Martin, tell us, what is an ECI and why this one is a possible game-changer? So a European Citizens Initiative, an ECI, is a tool of participatory democracy that uh, is almost 10 years old. Um, it was um, set through the Lisbon Treaty and gives the possibility for seven citizens from seven, seven different nationalities across the EU to make special demands to the European Commission. Uh, it needs to be demands that the European Commission is competent for. And in our case, it was about pesticides, biodiversity and agriculture. So an ECI is, will be successful only if uh, over 1 million uh, EU citizens vote for this ECI and that we obtain in the end 1 million validated signature. And it, there are certain thresholds in seven EU countries that need to be obtained. In our case, we obtained 1.2 million signatures, but we still need to see how many we will get after the validation phase. But we are 99% sure that we will get over 1 million valid signatures. And we got a threshold in 10 EU member states. Um, once the ECI has been validated, the European Commission is obliged to receive us and to welcome uh, the members, the seven members of the Citizens Committee to hear what, what our demands are. And the same will take place in a hearing, in a special hearing in the Petition Committee from the European Parliament, where the citizens will have the possibility to, to discuss with members of the European Parliament and expose our three demands. So our Save Bees and Farmers European Citizens Initiative has three demands. The first one is indeed to phase out completely pesticides by 2035. 
when we say pesticides, it's synthetic pesticides, the ones that are used in industrial agriculture. The second demand is to restore biodiversity on agricultural land. Indeed, very often we hear politicians saying that they spend a lot of money to restore biodiversity outside agricultural land. But then when one keeps using pesticides or creating green deserts in uh, agricultural land, it will not help so much biodiversity to make efforts on small portions of the land while uh, big surfaces of agricultural land uh, remain uh, green deserts. And the third and probably the most important ask is to spend money and make sure that the public money that is spent on agriculture is used to ensure a transition from our agro-industrial system towards uh, agroecology, which means that instead of working against nature, trying to kill pests, uh, using a lot of chemical fertilizers, we start working with nature to have living soils, to have a lot of ladybugs so that they eat aphids instead of using insecticides to have more pollinators in the fields more butterflies and so on and this is not just you know an idea of um, NGO people who are fanatic it's backed by science that by bringing back nature into the field and making sure that the right species like bees, bumblebees, or ladybugs are present, we will be able to produce affordable food and enough food to feed the world, but without synthetic pesticides. So, and in your view, how do we get to pesticide-free agriculture? The good news with pesticides-free agriculture is that it's not something that still needs to be developed, contrary to what the agro-industry tries to make people think, that without pesticides, we cannot feed the world. And um, the first way to, that we, we have to, um, to stop using pesticides is to start training farmers again, to help them reconnecting with their land and reconnecting them with nature. The second thing is that we really need, and it's very urgent, to suppress the, the negative influence of the pesticide industry uh, and of agribusiness in general. So. One thing, for instance, is that very often the the cooperative that buys the food or the feed produced by the farmer is also the one in the contract selling uh, the pesticides, selling seeds and giving to the farmer the protocol they have to use. And this should be forbidden because in the end, the farmer is just becoming a technician, applying a protocol given by the the industry who has its special standards. The apple must be just perfect, according to them, even if when you ask consumers if they really need a perfect apple with a very thin skin without any special stain on it, they will also say no, but it's the standard from the industry. For this, we really need to make sure that there is a separation between industry, supermarkets, pesticide industry, Uh, and farmers. This is very important. Another important aspect, of course, and I already mentioned it, is public money, the cap money, the money from the common agricultural policy. Is the aim still now, as it was uh, 50 years ago, to produce a lot of food uh, and export a lot of food and produce a lot of cereals to produce a lot of meat that then will be exported to the rest of the world? 
or do we decide to use public money for public good, good meaning we produce, we use the money from EU taxpayers to have an agriculture that has, is part of this vir virtuous circle. And then the last point I would say also to move towards a pesticide-free world um, is to modify um, the consumption, some consumption and feeding habits of uh, European citizens. Historically, we are important meat consumers and studies do, do not say we all have to become vegetarians or vegans. We can still continue produ producing and consuming meat, but it has to be strongly reduced. If we would change the policies in, in order to, um, to reduce pesticides and the meat prices would go, would go uh, up, of course, because a uh, cow needs to eat a lot of cereals to, to produce meat. Um, but then people could adapt and uh, become um, and change their uh, diets towards a more uh, ve vegetarian diet, not becoming vegetarians, but eating meat only uh, two or three times a week instead of every day, as so many people still do. Thanks, it was all super clear. Uh, let's get back to the European Citizens Inici Initiative, Safe Peace and Farmers. So now that we have collected 1.2 million signatures, what are the next steps? First, we need to validate these signatures. So around middle of November, we will be able to submit all the signatures, be it online or paper signatures, to, the, to every member state's ministries so that they do the counting and the validation phase. And this can take up to three months. So we expect that, that by the middle of February, we will have the validation phase finished, which means that then the European Commission will host a meeting with the members of uh, the representatives of the Citizens Committee. They have to do that within one month. So by the middle of March, we will have a meeting with the European Commission and explain to them what we want from them. And there we need to be very clear that, of course, in the EU Green Deal, there are interesting objectives, reducing 50% of the use and risk of pesticides by 2030. But what we want is a, a long-term plan. We need a plan to phase out synthetic pesticides from the EU. Because otherwise, looking at the massive influence and power from agribusiness, we might reach maybe close to this 50% reduction in 10 or 15 years, but then it will take another 15, 20, 30 years of discussions to maybe phase out synthetic pesticides. We also want them to very clearly put in place a plan to use this public money. We, we had the cap reform now, but it is possible in our view to um, have new laws that on the long run, make sure that the public spending in agriculture, in agronomy, agronomic research are spent towards, are dedicated to pesticide-free agriculture. So this is what we will do with the Commission. And then the European Parliament will also have, they will have three months to receive us and there will be a hearing in the petition committee from the European Parliament. Um, until the beginning of spring. Uh, and there the parliament will have the possibility to write a resolution uh, that will be voted upon 
in a plenary session of the Euro European Parliament. And we might also have a debate organized by the European Parliament uh, between us and uh, most probably agribusiness and farmers um, organizations. After that, um, the European Commission will have the possibility to make a legislative proposal to uh, answer our demands. And for us, we, we are very happy. We collected 1.2 million signatures, but the most important phase is starting now because we know that agribusiness is very active uh, to protect its financial interests. But on the other hand, there are so, so many aspects of biodiversity or climate change that are linked to agriculture, that it is now or never that we need to make this change happen at EU level. And we are very confident that this will uh, help improving very much the state of biodiversity on agricultural land. Thank you very much, Martin. Mrs. Mess, what impact do you think that such a citizen mobilization can have on Europe's food and farming? Yeah, first of all, I was very happy because also there, there was a lot of suspense. Uh, I was myself uh, at the last days then campaigning on my uh, social network so that we achieved to have the number of signature. But such an ECI, uh, so a um, European citizen initiative, which reaches really the goal of more than one million signature, that has really an impact. And the Commission cannot ignore that. So they have to react to that now, the Commission. It's it's really, so I'm very happy and <laughs> I take also profit here to be on your podcast to thank all the people who, who signed this uh, um, European Citizen Initiative because really that makes a change. And uh, we had also the ECI on, and the KCH, for example, and also there, and we have also some wording here in the Farm to Fork um, uh, strategy in the report, of ending the KHH, that cannot be ignored anymore. And the Commission has to react, and they did also regarding the ECI and the KHH. So they need to react also regarding now this initiative of the citizens that reached the number of signatures in order to protect better the bees and to support the farmers. So Nina, you have followed closely lobbying activities from agrochemical industries who are against the pesticide reduction target included in the Farm to Fork strategy. Could you sum up for us what you observed? So for the chemical corporations like Bayer, Basef, Syngenta and Corteva, the pesticide industry, um, the farm to fork targets, so the a binding pesticide reduction target is a real threat, is a direct threat uh, to their profits, right? Um, at the same time, they lose more and more pesticide patents. So um, more and more pesticides become not patented and therefore they make also less profits um, so for it's it's kind of an existential problem for the pesticide industry um, therefore from the beginning they have tried to undermine uh, this whole idea of setting binding pesticide reduction targets and in fact they will not support any eu-wide mandatory pesticide reduction target in my view they're being when you ask them directly they will be very vague about it but I'm sure that they won't defend any reduction target, even the smallest one. Um, what they said first is, we support the Green Deal, we support Farm to Fork. However, we will only support targets that are science-based. So this is kind of this mantra of being science-based, as if 
we don't know enough about biodiversity loss uh, or health impacts of pesticides to know that we should be reducing pesticide use. Um, the corporations then started to really, in my view, uh, instrumentalize and link up with the big farm lobby, with Copa Cogeca, and jointly order these impact assessments from universities, in this case from the Wageningen University, um, and present it as the proof uh, and as an important voice of so-called independent researchers um, to say how much economic damage would be done and how much would be suffered by farmers directly from these reduction targets. Um, so I think the pesticide industry realizes that they by themselves cannot really defend the current pesticide use. They simply do not have the reputation, uh, the image, the, um, the, the, the goodwill um, for them to be credible. So they really need the farmers. As long as the pesticide industry is able to instrumentalize the farm lobby organization Copa Cogeca in this way in undermining the pesticide reduction targets, it will be hard, a long battle, to actually realize them and get them implemented. Um, we can see that by the fact that the vote was actually quite tight on the pesticide reduction target and the binding nature of it. Um, it was only 355 MEPs in favor and 307 uh, against the binding nature of these reduction targets. So that's quite a, a tight majority. So this shows to what extent uh, the farm lobby and the pesticide industry will work together to undermine these pesticide reduction targets. Um, because for the pesticide industry, of course, this will mean an immediate uh, loss of profits. Um, so, yeah, it will still be a very long battle ahead. And our time is up. Thank you very much to the three of you for being here with me today. To those who are listening to us right now, do not hesitate to share this podcast with your network and subscribe to the Sfin podcast channel on which the Slow Food Europe podcast is hosted. You can also find Slow Food Europe, Corporate Europe Observatory, Pan Europe and Mrs. Tilly Mess on Twitter if you wish to get the latest updates on the farm to fork strategy and many other topics related to EU food and agriculture. Have a great day.